0: This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Well, here we are about two-thirds of the way through, maybe three-fourths, with our summer series on, um, on Paul's letter to the Philippians. We have only about three more weeks to go. Right from the beginning of our sermon series, you know we've considered several things. What it means to imitate Christ, to be unified with him, not only with others, but with Jesus, both in suffering and in rejoicing through life, so that we can be assured that we will be raised up with him. We have learned about living with integrity in a way that we try so hard to live with integrity every single day, whether someone is watching or not, in everything we say or do, and to live a life of humility, humility in all things, regarding others as better than ourselves, looking to the needs and desires of others above our own. As we begin to look at this week's um, portion of Philippians, I think it's important that we be reminded over and over again the circumstances under which Paul was writing. Remember that this was not an easy time for him, that he was in prison in a dark and dingy and squalid place, ridiculed by guards and other prisoners who most likely were ridiculing him for believing in a savior who did not take him away from this suffering. Shackled, chained, starved. And yet Paul was eager even in these circumstances to remind the people in and around Philippi that he considered all of this his wretched current estate, preferable to his former life as a Pharisee. Over and over, Paul encourages the early church to relinquish any sense of pride and self-importance they might have, and instead to imitate Christ. That's the message I think he has for us as well, and I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible and I hear stories like Paul's stories, it makes me wonder, what is the message for me? What impact should this have on my life? How should I be living my life differently based on what the Bible tells us was happening to people during that time? And so that's what we're going to look at today. And as we read this scripture, we're going to stop a few times along the way to consider Paul's words in more detail. I want you to remember as we read this Paul's conversion experience, how he was blinded on that dusty road to Damascus and remained blind for several days. That was a turning point in his life when he was able finally to relinquish his pride and self-importance and experience a new thing, to see Christ with new eyes, and I believe that's what he's calling us to do today. He describes how he was once spiritually blind, but now with new eyes he can see. So let's dive right in with today's um, message. I have um, put a different translation on the screens today. Because to me, as I read through the eight or ten different um, translations, it spoke to me most plainly about what I believe Paul wants us to hear. So we're going to be using the new, uh, the um, Living Bible translation today. We're going to be reading um, Philippians 3, and we'll, the whole thing will be verses 1 through 11, but we're going to stop after verse 6. Whatever happens, dear friends, be glad in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you this, and it is good for you to hear it again and again. Watch out for those wicked men, dangerous dogs I call them, who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For it isn't the cutting of our bodies that makes us children of God. It is worshiping him with our spirits. That is the only true circumcision. We Christians glory in what Christ Jesus has done for us and realize that we are helpless to save ourselves. Yet, if anyone had reason to hope that he could save himself, it would be I. If others could be saved by what they are, certainly I could. For I went through the Jewish initiation ceremony when I was eight days old, having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish home that was a branch of the old original Benjamin family. So I was a real Jew if ever there was one. What's more, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to every Jewish law and custom. And sincere? Yes, so much so that I greatly persecuted the church. I tried to obey every Jewish rule and regulation right down to the very last point." This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You'll notice that Paul was quick to speak about circumcision right at the very beginning because it was such an important ritual that signified a person from a person's infancy that he belonged to God. Jesus, too, was circumcised. You know that he was born to Jewish parents who were trained in all the laws and rituals of the Jewish faith. And so he, too, was circumcised on his eighth day. But Paul's conversion made him see with new eyes that there's nothing we can do, no rite, no ritual, no behavior, no good work, nothing we can do that can earn our salvation. If ever there were a way to earn favor with God, Paul said he would be it. Not only circumcised on his eighth day, but a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. You might remember that Benjamin was the youngest of the ten sons of Jacob, and the only one who was close to um, Joseph who was sold into slavery and how being the preferred son and the only full brother of Joseph, he was the one brother who was um, revered and helped after uh, Joseph was able to um, free the people and um, bring his family back together. So this Paul was not what you might call a lukewarm Jew. He was in it over and over and through and through. And then Paul says he was a Pharisee. We tend to think that Pharisees weren't believers in the same God of Abraham that we worship, but they were. They believed in him and in the reality of resurrection from eternal life, but they saw themselves as the best. They saw themselves as better than anyone else. All Jews believed that they were better than Gentiles, but those Pharisees believed that they were better even than all the other Jews. They excelled in interpreting the scripture and adhered to every ritual and law to a fault. In fact, they pretty much believed that if you didn't do the same, you were unclean and scorned and would never receive eternal life. Those Pharisees delighted in showing off wearing long ornate tassels and scripture boxes called phylacteries tied around their head and standing on the corners in the marketplace and praying aloud. And one of their prayers was, God, I thank you that I'm not like all those other people. So here's where it began to stick to me a little bit. I wonder if sometimes I come across in relationships with other people like a Pharisee. I wonder if there are times when I believe only people like me who hold the same beliefs, hold the key to salvation, while other Christians who believe just as strongly that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ are left out. Just how many regulations must I follow in order to be a true Christian? It isn't always easy to imitate Christ with humility and integrity and unity. One of my required courses in divinity school was, I forget the whole name, it sounded more um, challenging than this, but all I could remember was United Methodist Polity. Its textbook, the United Methodist Book of Discipline. You're welcome to look at this if you want after the service. Mine's a 2008 version. I got out of divinity school in 2007 and I decided I didn't need to buy any more updates, but there are some. But the United Methodist Book of Discipline covers everything from how the church is organized to its history and its beliefs, to its official stands on social principles, including how we care for our environment, how we view human relationships and family, human rights, the official United Methodist stance on politics and economics and war and peace. And if you dig deeply enough, you can discover the official United Methodist stance on everything from organ transplants to death penalty to gambling. I remember a particularly painful assignment during that semester. We were to choose one social principle from the Book of Discipline and defend or challenge it and give reasons for that position. That would not have been a Pharisee homework assignment because to them all rules were important. You were either in or out of God's kingdom based on following all the rules. But one of the things that I thank God for is that the United Methodist Church does not require us to adhere to a single belief regarding every social principle. Across our denomination and across the whole of Christianity, people with firm faith in the saving power of Jesus Christ People who believe in every tenet of the Apostles' Creed still, as we know, disagree on some social principles. And what I think is that Paul would tell us that uniformity in social principles isn't what assures us a place at the heavenly banquet. Paul thought he had it covered. He said if anyone ever had any reason to hope that he could save himself, it would be I. But Paul was blind, spiritually blind, and he didn't even know it. And then God called Paul to see with new eyes. Let's read on, beginning with verse seven. But all these things that I once thought very worthwhile, now I've thrown them all away so that I can put my trust and hope in Christ alone. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I have put aside all else, counting it worth less than nothing, in order that I can have Christ and become one with him, no longer counting on being saved by being good enough or by obeying God's laws, but by trusting Christ to save me, For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, counting on Christ alone. Now I have given up everything else. I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again and to find out what it means to suffer and to die with him. And so whatever it takes... I will be one who lives in the fresh newness of life of those who are alive from the dead. Last week, a friend sent me a devotion about spiritual blindness. It began with the question, Have you ever found yourself asking God, Why would you allow this or that hardship to happen? It isn't always easy to be humble before God because we deserve answers. We deserve better. And if only we understood the why, then perhaps life's difficulties would make more sense. In the Gospel of John, we read about a man who was blinded from birth, and when people asked why, the usual response was, well, the man or his parents had committed some unforgivable sin. But Jesus responded, this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. Paul's blindness resulted in new sight, not only for Paul, but for the thousands of Christians who followed him. And his physical blindness led others to spiritual sight. Those Pharisees knew all about the Messiah who was to come, but when Jesus came, they couldn't see he was the one. They had all the right answers, but their choices were wrong. When Paul's conversion came, he no longer wanted to be a part of that Jewish heritage. Paul writes, Everything I once thought worthwhile I've thrown away. Why? So that I can put my trust and hope in Christ alone. Everything else in life is worthless compared to the priceless gain of knowing Jesus. There's a little side story I want us to remember about Paul this morning. Near the end of his imprisonment, but while he was still in shackles and under heavy guard, Paul was put aboard a ship to Rome to plead his case for freedom. Acts 27 tells us there was a relentless storm that threatened to devour the ship and lasted for two weeks in an effort to save it from destruction As day followed day, with no relief in sight, the crew threw overboard more and more of their supplies. And finally, according to God's plan, the ship broke apart and all its occupants swam ashore and were saved. My question is this, of all the things that you carry on board, (laughs) of all the things that burden and encumber you, what do you need to throw overboard? What is it that you or I hang on to for dear life but in reality is unnecessary? Our status, like Paul, our image, which requires so much effort to sustain and makes us lose sight of who we really are, Maybe it's a habit God really wants you to throw overboard. Maybe it's material possessions. The reason that the personal storage industry is booming in this country. Maybe it's a relationship that's toxic. It's been said that in life's most raging storms, the longer the storm, the lighter we travel. Eventually, all you have left is the one who has you. And that's enough. Paul wrote of his relationship with Jesus, I want to live as he lived and suffer in the way he suffered. Rejoice in the ways he rejoiced so that I can be raised as Christ was raised to eternal life. That faith, that hope, is what sustains us through our roughest storms and it outlasts any storm as long as it's anchored in truth. Someone has said that the faith and the hope that we carry, we must carry like a cherished seedling. We will water it with our tears, feed it with our pain, and let the love of God shine down as we journey toward the dawn. If we don't lose sight of where we're headed, we can make sense of today. Peace comes from tomorrow's promise. On Tuesday evening, July the 24th at 6.30, we'll have an opportunity to experience that assurance. And I hope that you will all join us as we gather around the cross and crossroads to hear more faith stories like Paul Through scripture and prayer and praise and stories of God's guidance, we'll experience God's love and power. And then we'll share in some simple refreshments and fellowship with each other. We will remember who God is, reflect on what God does, and renew our relationships. The service is called a love feast, and you'll read a little bit more more about it in this week's cross points as well as um, in your bulletin. It's going to be a special evening, and I'm hoping and praying that it will help us see with new eyes God's immeasurable love. False confidence or blessed assurance? The choice is ours. Here again, with clear minds and new eyes, Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Whatever happens, dear friends, be glad in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you this, and it is good for you to hear it again and again. Watch out for those wicked men, dangerous dogs I call them, who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For it isn't the cutting of our bodies that makes us children of God. It is worshiping him with our spirits. That is the only true circumcision. We Christians glory in what Jesus Christ has done for us and realize that we are helpless to save ourselves. Yet if anyone ever had reason to hope that he could save himself, it would be I. If others could be saved by what they are, certainly I could. For I went through the Jewish initiation ceremony when I was eight days old, having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish home that was a branch of the old, original Benjamin family. So I was a real Jew, if ever there was one. What's more, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to every Jewish law and custom. Sincere? Yes. Yes so much so that I greatly persecuted the church and tried to obey every Jewish rule and regulation right down to the very last point. But all these things that I once thought very worthwhile, now I've thrown them all away, thrown them overboard, so that I can put my trust and hope in Christ alone. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have put aside all else, counting it worth less than nothing in order that I can have Christ and become one with Him. No longer counting on being saved by being good enough or by obeying God's laws, but by trusting Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith, counting on Christ alone. Now I have given up everything else. I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again, and to find what it means to suffer and to die with him. So whatever it takes, I will be one who lives in the fresh newness of life of those who are alive from the dead.